This is the inaugural show of the relaunch of the Field Goals podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and joining me, my good buddy, Adam Emmer. How you doing, man? Good. I thought this would feel like a change uh, coming from our previous show and joining the folks here at Field Goals, but uh, turns out it's exactly the same. I'm sitting at the same desk, doing the same thing, talking to the same guy, and I still get to talk Seahawks, so I'm a pretty happy guy. It's, it's really not different at all. Not even a little bit. <laughs> Other than maybe we have some new folks that have never uh, heard us before. So if that's the case, uh, welcome to welcome to the pod, man. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to what we do. We talk Seahawks. We've been doing it since 2013, and we're going to keep doing it. So that's the plan anyways, until it, they kick us off of here. Until yeah. they tell us, yeah, that we until, can't do it anymore. Until they wise up, yeah. Well, we are going to be talking about Seahawks. There is some news from the past couple of weeks, and we have a, a big game that we can talk about. Super Bowl, it happened. It did. It did. And uh, there's mixed feelings out there for a lot of folks. I know that about the result of that. But thing was, is I couldn't stomach to see the Rams hoist the trophy and pretty boy McVay get his, uh, you know, the lauding that he's been getting from the national media, have that even more amplified. I couldn't I couldn't stomach to see that. And so hats off to Tom Patriot and uh, Bill Belichick for exposing the Rams uh, for what they are. That was amazing. And uh, even though a lot of people say it was a boring game, I tend to disagree. Yeah, we can get into that because, well, I didn't want a whole lot of it, but I understand <laughs> where people are coming from. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, it, especially for a non-football junkie, that was a boring game. Yeah. But if you but if you genuinely love NFL football and it's something that you consume every week, every Thursday, every every Monday, you you watch up as many games as you can consume all year. It was a fascinating game just defensively from both sides. So lots of stuff to talk about, but let's start off with the Seahawks news NFL honors. They had their ceremony leading into the Super Bowl and we had a couple Seahawks. Well, we had one Seahawk in particular get an award, Shaquem Griffin with the Game Changer Award. He had a, a nice little two minute speech that's uh, pretty easy to find online to check that out. Celebration of the year. Very important award goes to the Seattle Seahawks. I think they got that right. I think they got that right. You look back on all those celebrations and there was not another one of them that was as well choreographed and then as well executed. I mean, they nailed it. Like everybody was on the same page. It was awesome. Uh, I loved it. It wasn't even my favorite Seahawks celebration, though. No, no. The Allen Iverson step over was my favorite, but I mean, they had a lot to choose from. They still got the right team. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then plenty of volume to choose from, really, with all Look, the Seahawks that, celebrations. The Iverson uh, step over, that was one of those that was historically uh, amazing. Like a little tip of the cap to AI and the, and the Sixers in that finals. But, um, and I enjoyed that, but th that didn't really get the camera time when it happened. That was one of those that they, were they reviewing something or something like that? No, like, that was the really tip. When they, they, they did the tip, it didn't even make the TV. Yeah, that one was even uh, less publicized. But and really, if you just kind of uh, if if you were to put all of them together, you know, they had the Nolan Ryan. Uh, it was like a tribute of all these great sports moments. They almost belong all together and into one. Yeah, that one made so, sense in terms of originality and choreography. Yeah, I think the reason I like that one the best is because I wish I could dance mm. and watching my guys like go out there and like pull something that like that off. Yeah, I was like, yeah, those are my guys. I want to see that. I wish I could do that. I guess I just I have a little more respect because I could pretend to 
like, you know, step over uh, another guy and look down <laughs> on him and, and talk trash. I could do that. You can. But I can't do the spinny dance moves. So I'm just more impressed. We also have some new Hall of Fame members this past year and a former Seahawk among that group. We have another Seahawks Hall of Famer, and it's Kevin Mawai, former yeah. Seahawks center, drafted by the Seahawks in 1994. Second round, 36 overall out of LSU. Made the Pro Football Writers of America all-rookie team in 1994. He was a seven-time first-team all-pro, eight-time pro bowler, but none of those with the Seahawks. Yeah, that's exactly right. So when you say Seahawks Hall of Famer, I don't think you see you try to claim these other players that really, although this is the reverse of some of the other ones you've tried to claim, like Jerry Rice Seahawks Hall of Famer or Franco Harris Seahawks Hall of Famer. No, they're not Seahawks Hall of Famers. Kevin Mawai is a New York Jet Hall of Famer. Well, he was the longest amount of time was with the New York Jets. Yeah, but I claim I claim John Randall. I no. claim Warren Moon. Maybe. Why I maybe? I might give you War Moon. Well, for a couple of reasons. One, he played college ball at, at Washington. So okay. he has ties to the area, right? And he came back and he, you know, he played for more than a half a season for the Seahawks and actually did things. You know what I mean? He he did as much as John Randall did. I don't know. I, I think of him far more as a Seahawk than I do John Randall. I'll, all I picture John Randall is in that purple helmet, man. I can picture I can picture Warren Moon in you know three different jerseys, four different jerseys. Houston. He went on to play for the Chiefs even after he played for the Seahawks. So he wasn't even like <laughs> he came and did his wash up season. And played is a pretty strong word. I mean he he suited up and stood on the sidelines for the Chiefs. He threw a few balls. <laughs> Sixteen. It's more than that's more than one, which makes it a few. <laughs> so I, I might give you Warren Moon, but the rest from John Randall, no Jerry Rice, no. Those are not Seahawks Hall of Famers. Sorry. He was Can't drafted by the Seahawks. Counts. Played four years in Seattle. Kevin Mawai? Yeah. Yeah. And it was at the beginning of his career. So I'd, I'd give you a little more that way. But again, all of his success and the bulk of his career came with the New York Jets. He's, when he goes into Canton, what, uh, what team is he going to go in with? Oh, they don't pick teams for who they, they don't, go in. They in. don't put the team on the bus? No. No? Mm-mm. No. I thought they did. Just baseball no, does that? Just baseball, yeah. I think he identifies as a Jet. I'm sure he would identify as a Jet. Now, the question is going to be when Steve Hutchinson gets in. <sighs> yeah. I mean, that one, if you wanted to claim Seahawks Hall of Famer Steve Hutchinson, I would give you that. But he actually had all pro seasons, pro bowl seasons with saying. the Seahawks. Yeah. But the amount of time was about the same, really, as, as Moai. I guess. But had more success. Okay, I just, I'm trying to figure out where your line is as to where we can claim they a guy and where we can't. just come and have a cup of coffee at the end of their career and call him a Seahawks Hall of Famer. That's okay. that's where I'm at on this. Okay, so no to Franco Harris, no to no. Jerry Rice, no, and maybe to John Randall. No, I'm still that's still a that's still a hard pass, and I that's not even like I have nothing against John Randall. I loved watching John Randall. I enjoyed his personality a ton as a football fan. I'm a big John Randall fan. He's just a Vikings Hall of Famer. Well, congrats to other Hall of Famers. Champ Bailey, Tony Gonzalez, Ty Law, Ed Reed, Pat Bolin, Gil Brandt, and Johnny Robinson. Now, who, that, that's the last one. I did not recognize Johnny Robinson. Uh, I guess he played for the Chiefs. When? Robinson played with the Chiefs from 1960 to 1971. Robinson's currently 80 years old. Okay. Well, I'm glad he's still kicking. 
Yeah. And uh, sounds like they, the players committee must have finally said, yeah, no, this guy belongs. So it sounds like they got it right. I'm happy for him. Unfortunately, uh, by the time he retired, I was still not on this earth for another eight years. 1971. Was that even? I don't think that. I, I think they wrote out the playbook on stone tablets. <laughs> okay. So he, he got to win a Super Bowl. He, he was in Super Bowl four with the Chiefs. Okay, so he was vitriculating the ball down the field with the with the Chiefs. Yeah, that's cool. Right, now the rest of that Hall of Fame list. I mean, every one of those guys feels totally worthy, right? Absolutely. Yeah, Gil Brandt took him long enough to get in. Yeah, so he got in as a scout. I think as a contributor, right? I think that's the award. That's the category that they put those guys in. Okay, because he was uh, he was the vice president of pro of player personnel for the Cowboys for gosh, like twenty eight years, long time. No, that makes some sense. I like it when they do that. Like when John Clayton got in. Apparently, Skip Bayless isn't happy about it. Well, Skip Bayless isn't happy about anything if it uh, doesn't. Involve, well, I guess the guy was with the Cowboys, so maybe that's why he has problems with him. I don't know. Bayless is a Cowboys honk. Yeah, I know. Maybe he didn't approve of the job old Gill did when he was with the Cowboys. Apparently, everybody else disagrees with Skip, <laughs> which shocking. The rest of the world disagrees with Skip Bayless. It's nice to see it. Champ Bailey in, first-timer, Ed Reed. Class guy. Class guy. Yeah. Both Tony guys. Gonzalez. <laughs> yeah. All three of them, right? Yeah. I like listening to Tony on uh, the Talking head shows. He could probably still go out and play. So if Antonio Gates can like crawl out of the grave and go out there and run routes, I'm pretty sure Tony Gonzalez can, too. He could. He looks like he can. He looks like he's still 25. We need to find out what's going on with him. Maybe he has that Benjamin Button thing going on. He's not going backwards. Well, not that you notice yet. He might be in the middle of it, you know? It's Where true. you kind of just look the same for like 15 years. <laughs> Welcome to the offseason, everybody. This is the type of stuff that Brandon and I t- will uh, occasionally delve into in the offseason. So, well, sorry, let's get not back to, sorry. Let's get back to Seahawks stuff because Frank Clark tweeted this past week, said, let's get this paperwork done so we can go on this hunt. I'm tired of the same results. Cool. I, does, do you think they're getting close? I hope so. Yeah, I'd like to have it done before free agency comes along. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the entire plan, right? You got because all the other contract negotiations start and stop with where the Frank Clark domino falls. Because who else do you? Well, who, who else do you need to worry about after that? Russell. It's time to extend Russell. They'll take care of him in the summer, though. No, it's all falling apart and he's gone. Remember, <laughs> haven't you been reading the national media? Like this is a this is a crisis. We're in crisis. That was the the big headline this last week. The Seahawks still haven't talked about a new deal with Russell Wilson. Oh my stars! <laughs> Time's running out. He can only be. Uh, he has to play this next year under contract. He can be franchise tagged another two times. Time is running out. We only have three more years to figure this out. Time is running out, and they still haven't talked to him. Can you believe it? It's February already. They're wasting time. Like I said, we're in crisis as a franchise, but it would be nice to get the Frank Clark deal done. So you know what kind of cap space you're working with so that when you go to Russell, you can start uh, the negotiation knowing exactly what you need to do if you're John Schneider and where you want to be as far as his cap number going forward. I did see a tweet earlier today that uh, Cam Chancellor's $10 million worth of uh, injury guarantee money is guaranteed as of today for 2019. Yeah. $10 million. Good for him. Keep getting them checks. <laughs> hey, you know what's cool about it is that he's still involved with the team. Yeah. 
he probably wouldn't even have to show up on the sidelines, but he's there week to week. The last member of the LOB that uh, isn't either A, salty or B in jail. Ooh, that's sad. I know. Well, Byron Maxwell's out there doing all right. Yeah, but I mean, when you think of the LOB, you think more of Browner, right? Browner, yeah. At right corner. Yeah. But I, I heard they let him watch the Super Bowl from his cell, so that I guess that's good for him. I did not. I'm, I'm not up on the Browner news. That's about all there is to, to know. I mean, just locked away doing a whole lot of nothing. Former New England Patriot, Brandon Browner. See, I like it when you do it like that. I mean, he won a Super Bowl with them more recently than with the Seahawks. So I, I feel right. like he's a he's more of a Patriot. And they're the ones that break all the rules, right? That's why mm-hmm. everybody hates them. Makes sense. Yeah. And the and the Patriots had a murderer on their team at one point. So it kind of fits. Was he on the, on the on the team the same time as Hernandez? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Not important. No. Brandon Browner in jail. That's all you need to know. <laughs> That's all you need to know. But we, we do have some other free agents to worry about, even before we get to Russell Wilson, Adam. Okay. I mean, Earl Thomas got to work on re-signing him. Right. Yeah. Get right after that. I'm sure he's going to be real amicable to re-signing. Hey, if you pay him enough, he'll come back. You sure he will. Yeah, one guy who sounds like he really actually wants to come back is KJ Wright. Yeah, he does. That's kind of the, the sense you get. I'm not surprised by that. I think he enjoys Seattle, the, the city, and I know he loves playing with Bobby. Yeah. And yeah, I think Coach he's going to make an effort to to try to stay. I I just, if I'm KJ Wright, I guess if your priority is you want to stay in Seattle, then I guess you sign a deal now. But if I'm KJ Wright, what I do is I wait for free agency to start and just see just see what's out there. Right, because you don't want to just take a deal and then find out you could make twice as much with another team. Right, because I have a sinking feeling that there's going to be some team out there like the Raiders or somebody like that. Yeah, who just back up the dump truck to them and are like, I know you enjoy Seattle and all, but here's a lot of money. Yeah, we have (laughs) piles and piles of money to spend in free agency. You could build your own private uh, highway back to Seattle and you could just go and visit every now and then or buy a jet. That's probably more cost effective. You got some offensive linemen to resign. J.R. Sweezy, DJ Fluker. Try and lock those guys up. Do you give them, I don't know, Mark Lewinsky deals? What did Glow eventually sign for? I, I did not catch the actual dollar amount. I think it was three years, 18 mil. I think if you can get those guys for that, you do it, don't you? I think you Sweeze, I think you probably end up doing like a one year deal with, right? Another one year. If it's because if he's of injuries down one to two. But Fluke, I think I would look at and be like, yeah, I'll I'll give you three. Yeah, three years, sixteen point two million. If you could get those guys at that number, you'd be doing pretty well, I think. I feel like Fluker's a little more injury prone than than Sweeze, though. I don't ask Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans how they feel about that statement. Yeah, Sweezy was hurt the entire time. Right. Yeah. So I'm not sure that Fluke is more injury prone than okay. Sweezy. And plus, Fluker's younger. And you heard the way Pete talked about his influence in the locker room and on that offensive line. Sure. The type of guy he is. Yeah, I could see him getting more than Sweezy gets. If Sweezy gets anything at all from the team. I mean, there's the possibility that the Seahawks decide that they're going to roll with Posick at the left guard spot next year. Bank on his development being an early round draft pick. I could see that too. Justin Coleman, another guy. Justin Coleman probably rounds out that list, right? I think so. I would like to see Justin Coleman back. Uh, I think he's a valuable depth piece, but I don't see anybody rolling out a big check for him. And an okay one. Yeah. 
I feel like if they can just jam the Patriots, you know, for a draft pick and get a guy like that, they could probably find. They seem to just find guys like Coleman. Yeah, out of all the position groups on the team that I don't mind seeing some roster churn on on the regular is safety or just DBs as a whole. Sure. Because I really do feel like they know they are good at identifying talent at that position. And then the development part, they're actually really good at, too. You know, unlike, let's say, quarterback, where they lucked into Russell Wilson and then have no idea what it looks like when you're evaluating quarterback talent for actual talent. Paxton Lynch. (laughs) You know what? The, The Seahawks just need to find out whoever the 49ers are scouting. And then and take whoever's you know whoever they can't pick. You think the Niners are the best quarterback evaluators in the league right now? Between the Niners and Patriots, yeah. I would. If you can go down to Mullins, if you can go down to your third string quarter quarterback and well, have a dude who can win games, I, that's pretty good. All right, that that may be true, but let's not forget that C.J. Beathard was not Nick Mullins. Like Nick Mullins was better of the two. Yeah, but Beathard won some games. I guess. I, I don't know. If I look at quarterback evaluators and developers of talent, I'd gravitate towards Andy Reid. Okay. I think he's the guy that you look at. Who's I don't even know who's behind Mahomes. Well, it doesn't matter right now. But you saw the type of efficiency he got out of Alex Smith. And then now what he's done with Mahomes. I mean, watch Mahomes as a young player at Texas Tech and tell me he looks exactly like this this Chiefs quarterback that he is now. He's so much more disciplined. Like I remember watching that Texas Tech tape and I was just I was scared to death of Mahomes. I mean, basically, he was he was Brett Favre, but chucking it even harder. He's just a chucker in college. You want a team who can evaluate guys, find guys who are backup capable. One of the things that's interesting to me now is with the AAF opening up this weekend, Alliance for American Football. All the quarterbacks that are going to be, you have eight quarterbacks who are going to be starting. Right. And what does the NFL do with those guys? You know, because go back to NFL Europe. Kurt Warner came out of NFL Europe after you know, getting kicked to the curb by the Packers initially mm-hmm. and was able to come in and be a Hall of Famer. And you have other guys. What Brad Johnson, I think, played in NFL Europe, too, came back, won a Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't see any of these guys in the AAL being guys that come back and then win a Super Bowl at some point in their career. AAF. Whatever. They could. AAF. Yeah. No, they they can't. Because <laughs> one of them... I know if Christian Hackenberg is a starter in this league, then all these guys are complete and utter scrubs. I think he's backing up Mettenberger. At least I got that part right. We'll see. I don't know. Will we? Are you watching AAF football this uh, spring? I'll flip onto it this weekend, I think. We had one of the listeners uh, write in and look or uh, talking about ticket prices for the San Diego fleet, and they were rather high. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I wouldn't pay that kind of money to go watch second tier football. People pay a lot of money to watch college football. And one of the cool things that they're doing with AAF is they're they have an allocation of guys that they need to draft from the area. So they have that tie to the local colleges. So it might make it a little more interesting for for fans to come in and root on the former college players from that area. I wasn't aware of that rule. That's interesting. Yeah. We'll yeah. see how that works. So you'll see Salt Lake with a lot of BYU. They have a few Idaho guys. San Diego obviously has San Diego State players. Terry Poole, former Seahawks right. player there. Yeah. When does that start again? 
I think Saturday and Sunday we'll have AAF football. Oh, okay. Yeah, enough of this AAF stuff. Let's let's talk about real football that just happened. I think that's probably what people are more uh, interested in hearing about. So good uh, segue by you. Let's do that. The Super Bowl was this past Sunday and a shout out to the tens and tens of Rams fans who had to endure that Super Bowl loss. Uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> that's hilarious. I'm glad you put it that way. No, did you see Did that. you see the three people standing on the corner welcoming the bus uh, back to the Rams facility? No, I missed that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that video was all over the place. Did they just happen to be wearing yellow and blue and like stumble on a street corner and they're like, oh, here comes the Rams back. No, they look like they, legit they, Rams gear. They they uh, had flags and uh, all wow. three of them were decked out like not starter jackets, but, you know, similar types of jackets. Well, there must have been one of their uh, moms and then like a weird <laughs> uncle and a stepbrother that went and they definitely looked they of the age of being parents of Rams players. I think that's a, a pretty high percentage that that's exactly who those people were. That that was fun to watch in a way, though, wasn't it? After Aaron Donald went to find his helmet before going to the sideline to to pick a fight with Justin Britt earlier this season, I, I couldn't be happier about a Rams loss. That that was the turning point where you started like really hating the Rams. I, I've been a, a Rams hater for a while now. Sports hate. Yes. You know, I think we differentiate pretty often the difference between real hate and sports hate. Sports Correct. hate reserved for sports. And it's yeah, not that real irrational hate. hatred you have yeah. for other people just because they're not on your team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I take I don't do that in real life, like with things that matter. Uh, I save that for things that don't matter, like football. <laughs> and right. I put it here. And with that said, I hate the fucking Rams. I hate them with a passion of a thousand burning suns. Sean McVay in a smug little face. Jared Goff and his inability to do anything on his own. Like he plays quarterback with training wheels on. And then Todd Gurley, who apparently is doing an apprenticeship with Houdini because he's just disappeared in the playoffs. He's gone. They overused him. They, they overworked him throughout the season. And that's what happens. I've heard some interesting points made about that, that you think about it and he, he got hurt. Uh, his first year was underwhelming because Jeff Fisher. Yeah. Then he had his breakout year, his second year. And then last year, he started out gangbusters and then sputtered down the stretch. And then this year, the same thing. So that's one lesson I think that we can look at and take away. And when the Seahawks aren't using Chris Carson, you know, more than 20 carries in a week five, week six game. You know, and they're working in dudes like Mike Davis and Rashad Penny. We, we can understand why. I guess I still I still don't know exactly what to make of the girly situation with the Rams like this whole I mean, he says, well, or, he must be injured. Then he's like, yeah. no, I'm not injured. And then you kind of watch me like, then what's the deal, man? I think McVay out thought himself. I think he thought that the the Patriots tactic was going to be to take away Todd Gurley. And so he said, I'm going to do other things than use Todd Gurley. And the Patriots decided that they, they were going to attack the team in a different way. Well, so that was kind of the brilliance of the Patriots defensive plan. They played kind of like I've heard it called a bear front and you bring the, the linebackers down and the, you know have the, the big boys to shoot the gaps right up the middle and mm-hmm. then contain on the edges like their number one thing was because Sean McVay was right in the sense that they're going to take away that stretch zone run. Mm-hmm. Like that was their that was their first priority because everything in the Rams offense works off of that play. 
Right. I mean, they're not overly complicated. I've heard uh, McVeigh quoted as saying something along the lines of, we don't do anything really complicated. We just want to do all the motion and all that fancy stuff to make you think that we're doing complicated things. It's just window dressing. Yeah. So their number one goal was to stop that stretch zone. And then at that point, now you don't have to worry about play action with which Goff thrives under. Mm -hmm. You put your best all pro corner on cooks negated. And then you bracket Robert Woods the whole time. And the Patriots were able to get pressure with all those stunts, very creative stunts up front. And you do all that. And it's a combination of a flustered Goff. My favorite thing was in that formation that they used on defense is that they were able to um, Rams like to bunch a lot of their receivers right at the with the offensive linemen. Mm -hmm. And so when they run the the bootleg play with Jared Goff, they actually use the the linebackers to, to check the receivers. Right. And that's how they completely took the receivers out of the play when Goff rolled out. And then he didn't have anywhere to throw to even underneath. Yeah, it was very reminiscent of the first time the Pats and the Rams played years ago. Tom Brady's first Super Bowl. Yeah. Where they got super physical with the greatest show on turf. Rerouted the receivers, knocked them around. And that's exactly what Bill Belichick did in this game. It was great. Thumped them around a little bit. I liked it. That was big boy football. And then on that particular play you're talking about, I don't remember the linebacker that came streaking out of nowhere, but Goff's bootlegging. He could have just thrown it away. And then all of a sudden he's like, uh Oh, gets Molly whomped and does like a little pirouette spin to the ground. Like he just gets spun into the ground. It was hilarious. I think it might've been Hightower. He had a pretty good game. Yeah, he did. The, the third quarter sack that he had was very reminiscent of the Atlanta Super Bowl, where the Falcons are driving. They're getting into field goal range and Pat's down big at that point in the game. And Hightower comes up with a big sack, yeah. pushes him back out of field goal range, and really gives the Patriots a chance to come back in that game. With that game being tied at 3-3 in anybody's ball game, that it felt like the Rams were starting to get their momentum there. Gurley had ripped off a run. They were starting to hit some deeper shots. And Hightower put an end to it. Two sacks on the day. Was he the one who, who got the sack too when Rams fans were kind of upset when... Jared Goff looked like he was running out of bounds. Uh, the dude got the hit on him as he was going out of bounds, but it was be- behind the line of scrimmage. It ended up being a one-yard sack because Jared yeah. Goff decided to go out of bounds rather than throw it away. If you want to be mad at anybody about getting hit there, your quarterback getting hit there, be mad at Jared Goff yeah. because throw it away. He didn't, he didn't lose. Apparently, he didn't learn his lesson his rookie year when Richard Sherman blew him off the field. Pulling that same crap. You mean when Richard Sherman saved his life by not allowing Cam Chancellor to light him up? Yeah, that's true. That's true, too. Brady versus Breeze would have been so much more interesting in this game. Belichick Payton, versus Sean Payton. That Now, that's what I was going to say. Payton versus Belichick would have been a lot more interesting because McVeigh had that deer in the headlight look the <laughs> whole game. He really didn't know where to go or what to do. How, how do you explain that? After two weeks of preparing, he's, he's you, two weeks after stumbling out of his mother's womb, like he's 33 years old, like he doesn't have the experience when you're coaching against probably the best coach in football history and who's twice as old as you. He's been coaching football longer than you've walked this earth. He was 16 in that that last Super Bowl between the Patriots and Rams. Right. He played a, a college game where he and both Julian Edelman were quarterbacks for opposing teams. Uh, no, uh, he was receiver. 
Who was? Edelman was a quarterback, and McVay played receiver for, for Texas, didn't he? All right, you're right. Yeah, okay. Except for the school. It's Miami of Ohio, but he did play receiver. You were right. I was wrong. <laughs> you're smart. I'm dumb. At least we can check some of our facts on the fly. I know the fact that they lost made me feel real good. I, I stood up at the end of that game and yelled at the TV, Suck it, Rams! <laughs> Suck it forever! Yeah, I was I was definitely happy about the Patriots. Well, I don't know about happy. I was less upset that the Patriots won <laughs> than I would have been if the Rams would have won. Right. And I know how to deal with the Patriots winning a Super Bowl. Like, I know how to deal with that feeling. We've been through that before. Right. Yeah. You think I got the right guy for MVP? No, I don't understand why it always has to be an offensive player. Like that was a defensive slugfest. Yeah, a thirteen to three game, and you can't pick one defensive player. Stephon Named Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, had an interception, three passes defended. He had a forced fumble. It wasn't recovered, but it was still. He was out there playing physical. Big part of it. Dante Hightower with the two sacks. Yeah, big part of that defense. Either of those guys would have been would have been fine. Yeah, I don't understand it at all. You're going to pick the dude who just happened to be open, the, the Tom Brady's open guy for most of the game. I think the NFL was just pissed that they weren't able to pick a Ram for it. Right. <laughs> you know, that that's one of the things that makes me a little bit happy, too. After the entire year of the NFL force feeding the Rams to us on every single show, mm-hmm. one of the lower rated Super Bowls in the last few years. Yeah, it turns out you can't trick America. No. Like, we all know that nobody cares about this team. And rightfully so. Yeah, LA even though the even NFL care. just has to work in LA. It has to. Yeah. Billions of dollars riding on it. And yet somehow it's already failing. How are the ratings in LA not big with a Rams team from that area? Because nobody in LA is from LA. Right. Everybody that comes there has their own fandom. And then not only that, but it turns out uh, apparently when you live in LA, there's other things to do. And it's, it's basketball season. Right. A sport that people in L.A. actually care about. Well, a sport that people in L.A. will show up to when they're playing well. Let's put it that way. Okay. I did have a fascination, though, with how different people coped with the Super Bowl. Because it was two teams that, especially for Seahawks fans, not a fan of. You know, they they either decided not to watch because they didn't like either team or trying to pick the team that they disliked the least. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a tough thing to pick. I guess. I just, I don't have the Patriots hate that most people do. You're, you're, I, I just you're unique don't. that way. I, well, I just, I respect the franchise. I look at it a little bit like Jordan and the Bulls. I enjoyed watching those teams. Like, I can appreciate what they're doing. Uh, I think all the cheating allegations are really blowing out of proportion. I mean, I just want to take the air out of that right now. <laughs> and I just... I don't think Tom Brady suspended for four games the last time when they won the Super Bowl. Uh, Edelman now suspended for four games for this year uh, for this Super Bowl. They they have a trend going of of guys who get suspended the first four games and they go on to win. There you go. Cheaters. And the idea too, like, well, I mean, the Patriots are the one team that's super dirty. Hey, do you remember back when uh, guys on the Seahawks were getting busted for uh, taking Adderall? Remember that? Yeah, I think it was. Browner, right? And Sherman. Yeah, he that he wasn't technically busted. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that was a bad sample, Adam. Okay. Sure. Again, going back to Tony Gonzalez on some of the shows, like they asked him about it. He's like, every team's cheating. 
every team. And he's like, do you want to elaborate on that? And he's like, no, I can't. <laughs> like everybody's trying, like they're trying to skirt the rules. The Patriots are no different. If you want, if you want them to stop winning Super Bowls, get the rest of the AFC East teams to decide to be functional franchises. We can't count on the Dolphins this year. Sounds like no. they're pretty much uh, guaranteed to tank. Maybe the Jets. I guess the Jets is the one, that's the team we can maybe hope to to give the Patriots a little bit of a, a run next year. This year or for the next three, four years? Maybe. Yeah, probably not this year. Okay, because if I'm looking at the next three, four years, like while Brady wraps this up because he's probably playing till he's 45, so we're all going to have to stomach it. Uh huh. I think it's the Bills in that division. Really? I absolutely do. Okay. Yeah. I really like their coach. I think Josh Allen the is the most Josh talented Allen. quarterback of the young ones in that division. They got to get their offensive line squared away. Yeah, they got a lot of things to fix yet. Yeah. But they could get there. Everybody's talking a little bit about uh, the Rams going forward now, right? And I hear a lot of talking heads talking about how, well, they're set up for years to come of uh, success. And I'm sitting here thinking, really? <laughs> Are we sure about that? How do you see that, Brandon? It's going to be fun to see what the Rams do with... They got three guys in particular. They might be able to keep one of these three guys, but to to be able to keep Ndamukong Sue, Roger Saffold, and LaMarcus Joyner, those are their three guys. This year, yeah. This year, that they have to try and hold on to. I don't see them able to keep Sue. They probably won't be able to keep Joyner. Yeah, Sue and Joyner are gone. We'll, we'll just say that. And then Whitworth's 37. John Sullivan, their center's 33. Akib Tlaib is 32. So they have some aging guys on their team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have their pass rushers, Dante Fowler Jr., Dominic Easley. Those guys are free agents this year. So now they have Gurley under contract. They have Cooks under contract. Jared Goff, you know, he's going to be there for a few more years. They'll probably have to re-sign him, which is awesome. Right. And, and so that's what exactly what I was going to say. Like you line out the Gurley contract and the Cooks contract, and then you're talking about Goff getting re-upped. And people are talking about that. Like that gives them stability, and that's good. Really? You just paid an all-time uh, high for a running back in Gurley, a guy who can't be bothered to show up for the biggest games of the year. Like he's just done by the end of the year. You've got Cooks, who's supposedly your number one guy, right? The, mm-hmm. the game changer, the, the breakout player who does diddly squat in the biggest game of the year. And then you're going to go and overpay for Goff now coming up. A guy who basically is a robot in the pocket. He's Sam Bradford 2.0, man. If everything works on time and in sync the way it's supposed to, and he can go to his first or second read, he's really good. He'll eat your lunch. But if you make him move his feet at all, you make him get to that third and fourth read in any way, shape, or form, he's done, man. He is not a dynamic playmaker. Like to me, then you've got all that money wrapped up into those three guys and none of them are primetime players. Like that sounds really good to me. And then the idea, like you said, the offensive line, pretty long in the tooth. Those guys aren't going to be around for more than another year, maybe two. Then you got Tlaib whose contract is up next year. You have Peters who has to be re-signed next year. Do you give him a big contract? I don't think so. Now they're going to have a tough time on the back end of that defense. You know, luckily they have Aaron Donald. Luckily for the Rams, they have him locked up. I don't know if that's luckily either. Look at the teams <laughs> that have paid huge money to defensive tackles. Would that right. be like J.J. Watt or Albert Hainsworth back in the day? And now you're talking like Aaron Donald. Like you start tying up quarterback type money, and it's not quite that high, but 
it's approaching that in a defensive tackle, I'm not sure you should be doing that. I don't know that that's how you build a team. Generally, that's it's been tough for those teams. Look at Gerald McCoy with the Bucks. Like they, yep. And now he's on the downside of his career, but he never had a lot of success being the top paid guy. Yeah. So everybody's saying, well, the Rams are set up for long term. We'll be seeing them a lot. I'm not sure that's the case. And then on top of like, I think maybe this coming year, they're still going to be good. This coming they're year, they're still going to be good, and they're going to have some pieces. They'll have Cooper Cup coming back. Right. The Seahawks will be the better team next year. There's no doubt about that. But I really feel like the NFL, after watching basically what Bill Belichick did to that offense, I think the the book's out on Mr. McVay, frat boy McVay. Yeah. Will he be able to adjust to that next year? Yeah, I think so. I think he's pretty good at game planning when you got like a week out for the most part. Mm-hmm. But to make him adjust on the fly, I, that does not appear to be his strong suit. No, it doesn't appear that way. I mean, he failed. He's failed to do that a couple times this season. Look back to the Bears game. I really wish the Seahawks would have had a third shot at him because it seemed like listening to Carroll after the two games, like he he felt like he had it dialed in on what he was going to do the third time around. Yep. Yeah, I really feel like we would have had a strong opportunity to beat them. And I wonder how that would have looked as far as defensively. If it, it would have looked been... amazing. That's <laughs> but, how it would have looked. But I mean, in terms of, of how they line up, you know, would have been a similar to idea of what Belichick had in mind or guess we'll find out next year. Guess we'll find out. All right, Adam, what do you say we come back, close out the show with a little bit of do better and better at life. Some segments that we carry on over from our, our Seahawkers podcast. Absolutely, man. Let's do that. Well, at the top of the show, we mentioned we've been doing uh, the Seahawkers podcast for the last six years and, and we're continuing to do our same show here. So before we get deeper into the show, I figured we could talk about a few of the things that it may be, we may need to catch people up, get them up to speed on. Right. Because if you're new to what we do, I think there's a, a few little quirks of the show that uh, maybe need to be explained. Like, why is suddenly somebody yelling catfish in the middle of something? <laughs> And that's generally because uh, we like to keep a clean show that you can listen to at work. If you don't want to listen to headphones, you want to listen to the car with the kids. Um, you know, there might be some themes that might not be so kid friendly all the time, but at least we can keep the language out. And much like Steve Rabel self-censors himself by using the word catfish, uh, we put that over the top of our own swear words. Right. And so, yeah, Brandon likes to keep it clean. I have a hard time not cussing all the time. <laughs> So that was kind of our compromise. So if you hear the the catfish end of the holy catfish call that Steve Rabel goes with all the time when he gets excited, that's what that's about. That's what that's, that's about. That's a little censor word. So it has some Seahawks roots. And in case you haven't picked up uh, kind of the vibe of this show, Brandon's a sensible one. I'm the irrational one. And that's kind of how this works. And it's kind of worked that way maybe even since uh, kindergarten when we were back in Mrs. Right. Van Etta's class together. Yeah, we've been putting up with each other since kindergarten, believe it or not, folks. And uh, we're both uh, here in Montana, beautiful Montana, talking about Seahawks. So it's a lot of fun to be able to reconnect with you that way. Some other aspects of the show. We have our our folks who have followed us and listened to the show. We refer to them as the flock. And we have a website. No, no we refer to them as little flockers. No, right. <laughs> Much to Brandon's chagrin. He does not like this term. We have a site for those who want to help support the show, getintheflock.com, and we will welcome any new members that sign up through there that help support Adam and I and what we've been doing throughout the years. Absolutely. And there's some pretty cool benefits, uh, different tiers of donations, if you'd like to participate in that. 
the creme de la creme being, for the most part, uh, being part of the Ring of Honor. Uh, we have a Facebook group of probably the coolest uh, Seahawks fans that have ever walked the earth. Uh, a really neat community. And uh, so that's one of the that's maybe like the top tier, I would say. I mean, although there are more, but that just seems like the coolest benefit. But just other things like uh, we'll occasionally put out bonus shows, things of that nature, stickers, uh, some benefits. If you do help uh, support the show there at gettingtheflock.com. Be a little flocker. Don't be a freeloader. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so freeloader. That's somehow been the term that's really caught on with yeah. uh, with everybody else. Well, I, I decided that uh, one day I had to call out people who just listen to the show for free to give us money. And so I started calling them freeloaders and I thought it would offend people. But instead, people have kind of, uh, I don't know, wrapped their arms around it. They, they, they've embraced the, the term and uh, don't mind even calling themselves freeloaders now. Yeah. And, and a lot of those people will support the show by giving us reviews anywhere you can review the show. Yeah. We'll sometimes read those. And while we're doing this, I'm going to give a shout out to David Mulvaney, who gave us a raise this past week at GettingTheFlock.com. See, now that's a good little flocker. Yeah. yeah thanks, David. Appreciate it. You know, so we're working hard through the offseason. Yeah, we're going to keep doing it again for the, the sixth year of offseason. We get to talk about amazing things like if Russell Wilson and Ciara put out a, a Twitter dance video and, you know, really important stuff. Yeah, the important things of the offseason. It's right. fun. Yeah, it's something. Well, for the past six years of our podcasting, we've done two segments that are near and dear to our hearts. Do better, where it all started from Adam really uh, having having some need to vent uh, toward the Apparently, end of the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just things that I saw that like I needed to explain to the general public as to why that's stupid, and it's generally not football related. Like it can just be from anything in life. Sure. Yeah, but it can be football related too. Sure. Yeah, just anywhere you look out there and you're like, those people need to do better. Right. Like, that's that. That's the point of that segment. And then uh, we usually wrap up the show, or we always have wrapped up the show since the very first one we've ever done together with the segment you titled Better at Life Than Skip Bayless, which uh, is a reference back to uh, Richard yeah. Sherman. Back when Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith were on first take, Richard Sherman went on the show and he, he told Skip Bayless that he, I am better at life than you. And so we we titled the closing segment of the show Better Life Than Skip Bayless. And it's kind of a, a continued homage to one of our top cornerbacks that's now a member of the 49ers, which isn't great, but yeah, we're keeping it anyway. Absolutely. I mean, that's tradition. That's Seahawks lore. We have to keep that. And it's a clever turn of phrase. And it does uh, kind of set the bar as to who you can nominate or what you can nominate as being better th at life than Skip Bayless because the bar is really low. It's very low, very low bar. Let's get into some do better. Who you got this week? All right, Brandon. My do better this week is for North Korea. <laughs> That's right. The nation, the hermit kingdom, the nation that, uh, you know, basically when you see the satellite imagery as it flies over, everything else is lit up except for that dark pit of North Korea. And the reason it, my, this week North Korea is my do better isn't because they're developing nuclear weapons. It's not because they're developing intercontinental ballistic missiles. It's not because they run like crazy prisons that they chuck their populace in and, you know, basically torture them to death. It's because they have released a line of clothing for men that, quote, can be eaten to avoid starvation. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, this is a negative thing. Yes, it is a negative thing, because if you're at a point as a country to where you can't just make clothes to wear and then food to eat, like you can't do those things separately, 
that now you're at a point to where you're having to make the clothes edible so your populace doesn't starve. You're you're in the danger zone. That's not good. So this is this was the quote from a, a magazine in uh, North Korea. The clothing is made from artificial flannelette fabrics composed of trace elements such as high grade protein, amino acids, fruit juice, magnesium, iron, and calcium. As clothing worn by uh, people engaged in sailing, outdoor exploration, and mountain climbing can be eaten to avoid starvation in the event that food has run out. Clothing that dissolves in water. That's what it is. And hmm. I, I mean, I just read off the list of ingredients. Doesn't that sound nummy? <laughs> I think it's kind of an emergency situation is what Aren't you're looking you ready? at. No, that's how they're selling it. See, that's <laughs> even the worst part of this. They're selling it as the fact that like, well, just in case you get lost mountain climbing, you know, the North Korean citizenry is able going to be able to eat their clothes. How many mountaineers do you see coming from North Korea? Zero. <laughs> That's how many zero because they have, they're just trying to survive. They're not out. Maybe because they've sailing. all starved out in the wilderness. Now they can live. This is ridiculous. The edible shirts is should not be a thing. This is a pathetic attempt to feed your people. North Korea do better. Might do better this week. That's for Trey Wingo. I like Trey. How dare you? Yeah. Well, he was on uh, his show ESPN's Mike and Trey, and he. I don't know. Did you see him going off on people who thought that the Super Bowl was boring? No. Deadspin put an article out about it that uh, titled Trey Wingo gets far too loud as he defends the lowest scoring Super Bowl ever. And uh, he essentially he was yelling at people to shut up about the Super Bowl being boring and, and mocking them for their opinion of the Super Bowl being boring and said, you know, essentially, if, if it's so boring to you, then change the channel and stop complaining. That's a solid argument. It, it, sure. I it's mean, something you, you watched you watched a Sandra Bullock movie instead of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, for the end, I was still able to watch the last quarter of the game and it, which happened to be the most interesting one. Kind of. Yeah. So I, I feel like I didn't miss out on it a ton. So no, you, really. you can change the channel and come back. It's true. Uh, but to tell people, he said, you people are the worst. Referring to the people who said it was boring. And I, the thing is, is you can watch TV. I can say that the first half of The Blind Side was kind of boring. It was still overall the ex- an excellent movie, but, you know, I didn't turn it off in the first half. I, I can still keep watching, waiting for something exciting to happen. And people who, who did stay and waited for something to happen that that last quarter of the Super Bowl was pretty exciting. But the fact that you're going off and telling people that they can't they can't even have the opinion that the first three quarters were boring and and still continue to watch because you want to see what the outcome is. I mean, it's still compelling, but it can be boring. So for Trey Wingo, I mean, have a little more nuance with it. Do better. Oh, man, I think I have to rush to the defense of Trey Wingo here. I don't know. Because have you seen, I, have you even heard the audio? I don't think you have. I don't think it matters. Like let's say you you say he needs to be more nuanced. Well, yeah. Why don't you be more nuanced? <laughs> like let's look at it this way: the idea that a defensive game unfolded, which was to me entertaining, and I think to any like I said, football junkie, it was entertaining. I was happy to watch the NFL actually have a defensive game for a change. I remember watching that Rams Chiefs game. Uh, earlier in the season where basically defense was optional and yeah. thinking this is boring football. Both, both things can be boring. 
I don't want to see I don't want to see all the Super Bowls be 13 to three, just as I don't want to see all the Super Bowls be 54 to 51. But if they happen once in a while. OK, sure. It's a it's a brand of football that I mean, I'm a defense guy. I like I like watching great defense. And so, uh, yeah, I think Trey hit the nail on the head here. Like this wasn't boring. You can't just turn the channel and shut up about it. If Trey Wingo would have spoken this to you about you saying that the 54 to 51 game was boring and that you people are the worst who think that way. It's the same way. Sure. I guess. But again, he's Trey Wingo and I'm Adam in Montana. Like it doesn't much affect my life. What Trey has to say about me at that point. Right? Like that's my, that's like my opinion, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was boring. Speaking of which the dude, he needs to do better. Yeah, you weren't a fan of the commercial he appeared in? He has a signature drink. Right. He's giving it up all of a sudden? Well, that's that's how the, the play in the commercial worked. Like that's that, that was the reason why everybody was like, oh my gosh, the dude just ordered not a white Russian. Estella Artois. Artui? Artui, whatever it was. <laughs> Estella Artois, man. Oh, I know. But the oh. dude doesn't know that. Right. I don't like it. You didn't like it? Were there any Super Bowl commercials that stood out to you? Because I thought it was a total... Talk about things that are boring. I thought the commercials overall were a dud this year. I, there was one that I really enjoyed, and it's my better at life this week. The NFL ah. with the best commercial of the entire Super Bowl. The 100-year okay. game. You got Marshawn Lynch eating the eating the big cake in the middle. The, the football drops off the top of the cake. You see Mike Singletary yell fumble, and uh, Bedlam ensues, including... You know, got to see Richard Sherman in there a little bit, trying to get the ball from the little girl, Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes sitting at the table and uh, reacting to the dude who just gets absolutely slammed uh, through. The, or was it uh, the catch by uh, Beckham that they that w- they were reacting to? Anyway, that that was by far the best commercial of the night. And for that, the NFL better life than Skip Bayless. That was easily the best one. No doubt about it. Like the amount of star power in that commercial was oh pretty. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty outstanding. And then just the way that it all started out with a little bit of uh Marshawn mayhem, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> just dig it into the cake a little bit. And all of a sudden, like, you know, it's on. Yeah. The stars that they were able to get in that, I mean, Montana rice got Franco Harris reenact. And they, the, the cool thing was, is how they reenacted some of the signature the most memorable NFL plays just within the commercial. Yeah, I thought that was uh, that was pretty amazing for sure. That was well done. Okay, I'll give you that. But the rest of the commercials, yeah, and that was a commercial that I didn't even see until afterward and was hearing about it and said, "Oh, I got to go check this out." Well, you were fortunate to miss halftime too. You know what? I went back and I watched the halftime show. It was okay. Why would Why would you do that to yourself? I heard how terrible it was, and I'm like, "Well, I, I Maroon Five's okay." I guess like he got up on stage and then all of a sudden realized. I can't really dance or do anything when I'm on the stage. I just hold a microphone, got nervous, and took a shirt off and hoped that would make up for all of it. Well, that was the final song. I, I kept waiting for it. Everybody's like making fun of the guy for taking off his Having shirt. Having a shirt it was allergy? Like, yeah, yeah, it was the final minute of the entire 20 minutes of the of halftime show. Well, how is it that Janet Jackson has a little nip slip and all of a sudden like the, the world loses its mind and Adam Levine can basically do a magic mic routine on the stage and everybody's <laughs> fine with it? I don't know. That's I, that's a really good question. Look, it just brought me back to the same point I've been trying to make since uh, the 2013 Super Bowl 
in Super Bowl 48 mm-hmm. when Bruno Mars came out and I knew really not much about Bruno Mars. I'm not a pop music guy and came out, started out with that rad drum solo and then was dancing around like James Brown. I remember thinking he rocked it, right? Yeah. And then Coldplay tried to ruin the Super Bowl halftime a couple years later and him and Beyonce came out, Bruno Mars and Beyonce come out and like save halftime. Yeah. I have decided that we need to make a new position in whether it's the president's cabinet or like part of Homeland Security, something like that, called the minister of halftime. And it needs to be Bruno Mars. Like he just needs to be on hand to either perform a halftime or save halftime or wrangle in top tier talent. Like I thought Timberlake did a good job the the other year. Sure. But that, that Maroon 5 thing was not cool. And then I, I honestly had no idea who any of the rappers were either, except for Outkast. Yeah. Well, see, if Bruno Mars would have come into the stadium in a meteor, that would have been the way to go. That, that was weird saved looking. It. And I was, a little, I was a little freaked out by the drones. You don't like that? That's how Terminator starts. <laughs> like when the drones start doing collective things in the air like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Before you know it, he's going to be that those things are going to like combine like a transformer into like one unit and be looking for Sarah Connor. I was wondering how they were, because I thought they were just part of those, those light up things that they toss into the air, like with the candles. Yeah. I thought that too. At first I'm like, how do they get away with that? That's a fire hazard, man. <laughs> well, and I was thinking where <laughs> are they going to manatees die when those fall into like the ocean. Yeah, that was, where I, are they going to go? Thinking. And are they going to be hanging around in the stadium? And right. Yeah, nope. so I was I was legit worried there for a second. Yeah, no, it turns out they're the precursor to the doom of humanity. So now we should really be worried. All right, my uh, Better at Life than Skip Bayless fits into none of this. It is completely unrelated in every single way. <laughs> but uh, my Better at Life than Skip Bayless this week is for none other than Prince Harry. A couple weeks ago, he was attending a, an event. It was uh, Bristol's Empire Fighting Chance uh, charity event. And Prince Harry was there when a 12-year-old boy walked up to him and started talking to him. And this is what uh, Prince Harry had to say about it. Quote, it just got a a bit emotional because he mentioned something. He knew some stuff about me and the same thing that happened to me. We had a a chat for about 10 minutes. And when we had a group picture at the end, he made sure I was standing next to him. They were lovely people. I didn't expect them to be like that. They were amazing people. Basically, the kid walked up to him and he started talking about that he had lost his father. Uh, just a couple weeks previous in a, in an accident. Oh. And so Prince Harry, obviously losing Princess Di, his mother, uh, as a young child, he knew a lot about that. So what did he do? Did he just take like 30 seconds or something like that for the kid? No. He cleared out the entire room. He made everybody leave so that they could sit and just chat for like 10 minutes. Take some time and try to console this young boy. I think that's a pretty classy move. And especially when he comes from a place that obviously understands what it's like to l- lose a parent at a young age. And uh, for that, Prince Harry, classy guy, better at life than Skip Bayless. Oh, well, there you go. Nice uplifting. See, you know how to do this uplifting stuff at the end of the show better than me sometimes. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while, dude. And I think of that. There's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. There's only thing one left to say. The what now? Huh?